You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For, 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 for all things KC, for everything Chiefs, it's always, it's always game day in Kansas City. Now, here's your host, Kayla Kinnearum and Cody Tapp. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to It's Always Game Day in Kansas City on this Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast, if you haven't already. I am your host, Kayla Kinnearum. Joining me is my co-host, Cody Tapp, and our producer, Nick Schwert. Guys, how are we doing on this Wednesday? Nick just tried to um, convince me to root for his KU Jayhawks. Well, I, it's not, not going to happen. They're, they're not playing Missouri Champions Classic, big college basketball game. And I thought if there's one thing that could unite us, despite our differing allegiances, <laughs> it would be the fact that nobody roots for Duke, apparently, except for you. By when the way, when it's KU, yes. The the three of us look like three state three people in different stages of life duress. Kayla looks like she's got her life together, got a new job, it's all put together. Really, it looks like wow. he's pretty comfortable, and then I look like I just got divorced. It's just <laughs> like three stages of sadness slowly going down. Like you're you look great, then Nick looks better, and I look terrible. I darker in my room. I Nick thought just, we all looked pretty good. So this is new to well, me. Well, I'm glad it looks like I have my life together. That's certainly deceiving. All right. Um, <laughs> you of us do. Let's dive into things, shall we? Um, first things first, guys. Chris Jones is a legit defensive player of the year candidate. He currently has 17 total sacks, 11 solo, six assists, and seven sacks so far this season. Did I say sacks or tackles? You said sacks, but it's fine. We know I you meant tackles, tackles. Seven sacks. I don't feel like he's getting the respect he deserves from everyone else, but we're going to give him the respect he deserves. Here's the problem. Screw the NFL for trying to force us into this box where we're not even allowed to say that somebody deserves to and should be a defensive player of the year candidate when he's sitting at 40 to one because it's bullshit. He's sitting at 40 to one. It doesn't make any sense. He has seven sacks. He would have had eight if it weren't for a nonsensical penalty that they took away from him and another forced fumble. Eight sacks is the exact same number that current front runner Micah Parsons has. Chris Jones is having to do it more on his own than Micah Parsons is because he plays on a worse defense than the Cowboys. So he's having to do more to hold it together than Micah Parsons is. And he's on the best team in the NFL, the best team in the AFC, at least one of the best teams in the NFL. Why isn't he or why shouldn't he? He has been as dominant as any single defensive player in the entire NFL. And it's somehow this hang up on if you're an interior defensive lineman, We're not going to give you the credit unless your name is Aaron Donald. And that's the level Chris Jones is playing at. He's playing at an Aaron Donald level. And a quick correction here, even though the official numbers won't show it. Chris Jones actually has eight sacks. Okay, that's how we're going to talk about him from now on. They don't give him credit (laughs) for the strip sack of Derek Carr in the Raiders game. So not only should he have eight sacks, he should also have three forced fumbles on the year. 
I think what's interesting about Jones is that even though we've seen a lot of his production come from when they move him to the outside and play him on the edge, it's difficult to get the crazy sack numbers from the interior. You just don't see it very often. That's why the guys who lead the league in sacks every year are usually defensive ends or outside linebackers. The fact that he's pacing towards being one of the top sack guys while playing defensive tackle, to me, is all that more impressive. If you're going to get love for defensive player of the year from that position, though, you just look at what Aaron Donald's done in the three times that he's won that award. It's not as though he led the league in sacks every single time. So I think one year it was 11 and a half sacks. One year it was 13 and a half. It, one time well, it was 20, but you know. Yeah, okay. We're going to, yeah, we're just going to dismiss that. That doesn't help our argument. So let's <laughs> okay. ignore that one for a minute. Yeah, we, we, we dismiss the, the facts that get in the way of our points. You have to have the other stuff too the forced fumbles, which he has, or, you know, the insane number, number of tackles for loss, get a defensive touchdown or two. I don't know if that stuff's going to happen, but. Just watch the games and you feel the presence that he makes on the field. And that, in large part, is why Aaron Donald won a lot of those games. It's because every single time you would watch a Rams game, you would see the amount of attention that the other team had to pay him. And yet still, he found ways to make his impact felt and make big game-changing plays week after week. You would think because they're on national television all the time, Kayla, more people would say it the way they talk about it with Aaron Donald. I think what happened with him was, and he's great. He is one of the single greatest defensive players of all time. I understand it. But like his story became so folklory that it was easy for him to win after he got the first one. And in Chris Jones's case, it's actually kind of been the opposite from Chiefs fans in particular over the last couple of years. I frequently last year had to defend the fact he'd be like, ah, Chris Jones didn't show up. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are we even watching the same football game? But just because he only had like eight sacks at the end of the season, people are like, I don't know if he's the same player. I'm like, please watch the game and see what he's doing. He, he does this and he's doing it at an even higher level this year. It's not just like how last year, this is as good as I've seen Chris Jones look. This is as good as Chris Jones was in that 15 and a half season this is, or 15 and a half sack season through this many games, through nine games in his 15 and a half sack season. He didn't have He didn't have seven sacks at that point either. He was at six. So like he can go through a run like that. And that's where I still think it's plausible. I know we're going to say it's a long shot or defensive tackles are never going to win it. Or we're going to have to do the thing we did with Creed Humphrey, which is advocate and push and yell at people until they're willing to give a center a rookie of the year vote because that doesn't happen. But we shouldn't be limiting defensive player of the year to just the people who get sacks or just the people who get interceptions because there's so much more in between that. It's so rarely even a linebacker. Why not include an interior defensive lineman? That's what's so weird, because when I was doing my quick research before we went live, uh, every article about Defensive Player of the Year, it's Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, Von Miller, Aaron Donald. Do you think we're not getting that attention? He's not getting that attention because our offense is just so much louder. Well, or the defense isn't good. Like the defense isn't a top five unit in the NFL, maybe. Which those two things go hand in hand. Right. It's the fact that the Chiefs, we we look at the Chiefs and the way that they win games is all because of Patrick Mahomes and the offense. Meanwhile, the defense has sort of just been meh. What's so interesting about that is I think we talked about this a little bit on the Sunday episode. Go back to the end of the Chargers game. Go back to the end of the Niners game, the end of the Titans game, the end of the Jaguars game. What happened? Chiefs built leads based off the offense, but it was pass rush. And namely, Chris Jones was in on almost all of those games, 
making plays, sacking the quarterback to put the game on ice. So I get it. They're not winning because of the defense, but the defense is closing the door on would-be comeback opportunities. And if you just told me that was going to be something that you could count on week after week the rest of the season, that, yeah, the defense is going to give up some yards. They're not going to be wreaking havoc on quarterbacks and offensive lines for four quarters, but they're going to make big plays in the most critical junctures of games. You take that every single day. And when you think about how you build MVP resumes or defensive player of the year resumes, stats are very important. But the moments also are as well. The moments where you feel like a game could go either way and then somebody steps up and makes a game-changing play. Like Chris Jones has done that a handful of times this year. So if you're looking for the numbers, he's right up there with the best. If you're looking for the game-changing plays, he's got those as well. I feel like his resume is just starting to get noticed. It wouldn't shock me at all if we fast-forwarded a month and all of a sudden, maybe he is being mentioned with the Micah Parsons and Miles Garretts of the world. By the, right. way, by the way, I know we canceled Pro Football Focus after they gave Patrick Mahomes a bad grade. <laughs> uh, but they do have Chris Jones as the highest rated defensive player in football okay. so far this year. So we are uncanceling Pro Football Focus, at least for this episode. And they got Mahomes back. up to the second. So, like, pretty close. There we go. Back on, the right back on PFF. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're going to move on. Uh, guys, Nate Taylor was on your show earlier this week, and he alluded to the fact that Kadarius Tony has basically attached himself to Mahomes' hip since getting to KC. I love this. This is a, such a cute little story. Uh, <laughs> I, I want this in someone coming in who's hungry to make a big impact on this offense. Uh, he said that he's bought in and that's what you want to see, right? Should we all do our best Kadarius Tony smile before, <laughs> you know, we, we get there. You just kind of look like crazy, like. Patrick Mahomes screen grab that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, because the story was interesting because it's it was probably one of the more glaring things of talk about Baden. Because if you watched him for just even that one game in Kansas City, you're like, you didn't want to try to make that work. Your wide receivers suck, New York. You you didn't want to even just like see if he'd get on a field, run some routes. See what happens. And Cody, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but don't you think everything that was sort of being whispered about with Tony and his time in New York makes this story yes. all that more impressive? Because yeah, that was the one thing I was kind of like, is this guy going to be bought in? Is he going to be committed to it? And the early returns are, yeah, he's doing yeah. everything you're supposed to do. Some of it was like, oh, he's talented, but he doesn't want to put in the work. Mm -hmm. And then Nate Taylor said, he got off the plane and immediately was attached to his hip. As much as he said, Travis Kelsey is. So the second Kadarius Tony got in town, he's done nothing but stand next to Mahomes in meetings, stand next to Mahomes on the practice field, wait for chances to catch balls outside of that practice during the bye week so that they could get used to it. Like literally everything. He's not going to leave his side until he figures it out. And now I think even the Chiefs were probably caught a little off guard by how ready he was, how early, because he's picking it up quick. And it turns out he might be also a quick study in addition to all of this. And you're like, okay, so super athlete, quick study, work super hard. You're like, what were the Giants doing with this guy? Because it goes back to that. But it is, it is, Nick, you're right. It's way more encouraging than just the, the physical stuff. Because there's a lot of talented NFL players, tons, who don't make it or don't have big showings for their team and all that stuff. But if he's going to actually do all this extra side stuff, then I, I you know, there's a real chance this is going to really work in Kansas City. I remember the day that the Chiefs traded for Tony. I think it was like Bart Scott. 
who went on whatever show he's on or whatever network he's on and said that he's that Kadarius Tony was already the best receiver on the team. And I was like, okay, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I still don't think it's accurate, but from awesome, a, <laughs> from a talent point of view, how many guys would you put ahead again in the, in that wide receiver uh, room? None. Juju? Maybe. Juju. Yeah, I, would yeah, probably put, I would probably put Juju ahead of him. Okay. Juju's the better wide receiver, Jerry's but he's out. not, he's not, he's not, um, I don't think he's a better athlete. Like, what's your ceiling, right? Like, that's kind of what we're talking about. We're yeah. not talking about who is a better player right now. But probably Juju, talent, sure. In terms of talent, what's your ceiling is? What can you be at your best? I guess it's just tough to tell with Tony because we've seen so little of him. And in the limited amount of time we did see him in New York, he was playing with Daniel Jones, who uh, they haven't exactly been winning games behind his arm this year. So it's it's difficult to tell. But when you think about the idea that, okay, this guy was a first round pick a year ago. And the reason why the Giants drafted him, even though they kind of got tore up for drafting him so early, it was because they said, well, no, we we knew there were a lot of teams right behind us. And the Chiefs may have been one of those who were interested in trading up and getting. So if you combine that talent, he's still young as hell and he's very raw. But if you combine that talent with now, oh, and he's willing to put in the work, it doesn't just get you excited for the the long-term potential, which I think we all sort of assumed that's what this trade was about, was you get a guy who is cheap, he is young, you're going to get him for three plus seasons, that's all great. Now I feel like I have to sort of rethink what his potential is in the short term this season, because if he's picking things up like that, he's staying attached to number 15. He's only going to get better and more comfortable and earn more trust from the coaches and the quarterback. Kayla, I know we weren't hosting this podcast um, together last year, but I had said, and I still think it's true. Whoever Odell, if Odell was between the Rams and the chiefs, he chose the one that would have won the super bowl. As in, if he had chosen the chiefs, they would have won the super bowl. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think I'd advocated for them taking another shot at Odell. But Nick, if you know, I I don't think I ever thought Kadarius Tony's going to matter this year. And then I saw a game, and I'm like, uh, oh, okay, well maybe he will. And if that's the case, like if in the middle of the season they added an impactful wide receiver, that's the same thing I was asking for last year out of this team. Even if he's not the feature piece, which he won't be behind Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster, if he's just an impactful wide receiver. Guarding the Chiefs in a playoff game that could include Travis Kelsey, Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS, who's on pace for 900 yards, Kadarius, Tony, Noah Gray, who all of a sudden is coming on. It doesn't matter. I could list you seven, eight guys they actually use in this offense pretty regularly. And if Tony's another one of those, it becomes almost impossible to guard them. I'm almost to the point now where I don't really want to talk about like one, two, three, four in this wide receiver room. Like, where is Tony going to? Because you just said it, it doesn't really matter. Like there will still be another game where McCole Hardman is going to be featured, where they'll have a package for Kadarius Tony, where MVS is going to have his days. The idea that all of a sudden there's going to be, okay, this guy's number one, this guy's number two. The only thing I feel comfortable about is when healthy, Juju's your number one, and obviously Travis Kelsey's Travis Kelsey. Aside from that, one day it may be Noah Gray's day, the next day it may be McCole, the next day it's going to be Kadarius. And that I think is kind of the, the idea. When you lose Tyreek, who you knew you were going to throw to 12, 15 times a game, you replace him with a bunch of guys who collectively can all be counted on, but none that you're going to rely upon to do that, to throw it to him and force feed him for four quarters. The idea is that every single week, I don't want the defense to know what we're doing. I don't want that defensive coordinator 
to be able to key in on any one thing and slow us down significantly. And that I think is very exciting, especially with seeing what Kadarius Tony did on Sunday. As it relates to Tony's enthusiasm, it reminds me of Little Giants when Spike goes to the Cowboys from the Giants. No pun intended. Even though that later backfired, it's not going to backfire here with the Chiefs. Uh, But guys, most important question I think we're missing is, has he officially been invited to the Call of Duty group? Ooh. Mm. Well, I mean, you would think so, right? They want to work on... uh... It seems like he's already kind of got that like sixth sense a little bit on guessing what Mahomes is going to do. So, I mean, I, I think good I yes. you can only have four on a team, though. Who's in it right now? Kelsey, MVS, Mahomes and Juju Hardman. No, Juju's Juju. hurt. And so it, right now, uh, no bright screens after concussions. Oh, man, Juju. So, so oh, right. oh, Tony okay. could do it for a little bit. You know, it sounds well, like well, Juju and Juju and MVS were sort of the guys who were leading the way for that team. So. Those are valuable pieces to their COD squad. For the Call of Duty team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is now time for one of our favorite segments around here on Wednesday. Our vibe check. Who's going to take this one first? Uh, so I'll, I'll go first. I think I went last last time. Um, the way the, my current vibe for the team is this going to be a very specific thing. So I'm going to have to explain it. When we were kids, we had, a, you know, like a hill and then there was like a retaining wall that went down to the bottom. And we played a game that a lot of kids played called King of the Hill, which is just simply you run and try to jump off the ledge and the other kid tries to tackle you before. The Chiefs are the King of the Hill. They're standing on top and nobody's getting past them. Kayla they, looks incredulous right now. What's going on? Are, we are on the complete same wavelength. This is crazy. Keep going. Sorry. Again, we didn't share I'm, these ahead of time. No, so this we don't write these down ahead of Kayla's, time. So to me, that's what it is. It's the kids game version of it. Everyone else is going to try to be king of the hill. They're going to try to knock them off of their perch and they're not going to have any success doing it because the Bills took their shot, won a game. Some other teams won some games and yet we're halfway through it. We're at the midseason mark. And guess what? The Chiefs are still the number one team in the AFC, control their own destiny and have the third easiest remaining schedule. So just king of the hill. That's that. That's my current stance. Kayla, I feel like you have to go. You got to go. Yeah, (laughs) we got to get your vibe check, Kayla. It feels too good. Well, I've I've been struggling with the vibe checks the last few weeks, but this one I was like, I know what I'm going to say. Stay with me here. Uh, Your girl is deep into season five of The Crown right now. Okay. It's so good. If you haven't watched it, I'm so obsessed. And it feels like there's an allergy there, but I'm not too high on Prince Charles, now King Charles. So I'm going with the Disney classic, The Lion King. The, The Chiefs are Simba guys. As it stands, we are football royalty. We are destined to take the throne. After what we've seen through 10 weeks, the Super Bowl is ours for the taking. And that's what's expected by this team, quite frankly. Uh, Now, after this past weekend, we've been crowned king. Mufasa got trampled by Wildebeest. And the Chiefs now (laughs) sit atop the AFC. They are first in the power rankings. We are back where we belong. And that is at the top. So unless... Go ahead, Cody. No, no, I was just going to say, unless Scar rears his ugly head or we fall off the side of a cliff, the throne is ours. Cue the circle of life, Kuna Matata, whatever you prefer, and scene. I would say that like it works because like it's the, do you see this land? This is all yours. yours. It's like the Chiefs are just standing on that ledge looking at the rest of the NFL like, do you see this? We own these fools. It doesn't matter. This is all ours. <laughs> because that is kind of what it is right now. Very similar vibes, Kayla. Same, same wavelength, yes. Well, on the same on that same note, I also wanted to do a movie reference. Mine's not going to make oh. nearly as much sense as yours, but the Chiefs are me in 1997 watching Dumb that was and a great Dumber. Year. 
Yeah. Okay. Dumb and Dumber, uh, an absolute classic because our pets' heads are falling off. That's the rest <laughs> of the AFC. That is the Chiefs watching the rest of the AFC. Josh Allen's turnover woes have continued. They've lost two straight. The The Bills would be the sixth seed in the playoffs if the season ended today. Two weeks. In two weeks' time, they went from being the one seed to the sixth seed in the AFC. Jamar Chase is injured. Who knows what's going to happen there? The Titans, are, you, are they seriously going to be the two seed in the AFC? Who are you afraid of right now? The Dolphins? We'll see. But your new blood. And as we've seen time and time again, whether it was the Ravens two years ago, the Bills even last year, you got to earn it. You got to earn it to the point where we're going to respect you and take you seriously in the postseason. It's been eight weeks. Two has been fantastic. He absolutely deserves to have his name mentioned right up there behind Patrick Mahomes in the MVP consideration. But who exactly are you supposed to be afraid of? Everybody else is floundering. Meanwhile, the Chiefs are looking back at their season last year saying, yeah, yeah, we did that last year. We had that little lull for about four and a half, four, five, six weeks. And then what happened? We went on an absolute tear the second half of the season. And this year, when you thought it was really going to be a recalibration, no more Tyreek Hill, no more Tyron Matthew. All we're doing is getting better. All we're doing is adding weapons to our stockpile while the rest of y'all figure it out. We did that last year. And guess what? We did figure it out. Let's see if you guys can do it as well. I love that the, the Chiefs, Get to kind of sit back with their hands behind their head, kick their feet up on the desk and say, good luck. We'll be we'll be paying attention to see how you guys figured out the second half of the season while we cruise to the one seed. I almost Nick, like I almost wanted to make a movie reference too, but I felt like it's not how the story went down because like the new John Wick four trailer came out and I was like, you know, he's the guy left standing. But I was like, but it hasn't been that hard. John Wick has to work really hard to beat all those new bad guys. Yeah, he has to kill like 700 dudes. Yeah, the Chiefs don't even have to do that. They're just like kicking it. It's like if John Wick had to fight like one bad dude. They all fought each other. And then one bad dude at the end, he's like, well, I'm better than you. So I guess have fun because he doesn't have nearly as much trouble in the beginning parts of those movies beating all the bad guys. I haven't seen those movies. Do you like uh, do you like um, action movies where you're not as worried about the story fully? Just good blind action, because that's what that is. Like Mission Impossibles? Yes. Yeah. Less plot than the Mission Impossible. Less plot, more (laughs) uh, more choreographed, insane fight scenes. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll have to look into that. I'm going to put them on Kayla's list. given you so many movie assignments, Kayla. You're not. (laughs) And I have not watched one of them. I'm. I'm a rom-com gal, guys. I like action. I like drama. We're going to have a rom-com we should watch. I guess turn it back on us. Should I watch that new, like, Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie on Netflix or something? Actually, my mom (laughs) watched it. They said it was (laughs) very cheesy. But I love Lilo. I'm so happy she's making a comeback. So I want to support her. There we go. Lilo. I'm going to watch it. Is that her nickname? Is that Lindsay Lohan? Yeah. L-I-L-O. Lindsay Lohan. I don't think I realized that. I've always called her Lilo. That makes sense. did not want to be anyone more. Well, actually, I've wanted to be a few people when I was a kid, but Lindsay Lohan and Parent Trap, I was so jealous. I was like, I just want to be her in that movie. <laughs> All right, we're getting off track. Um, okay, guys, do we have any concern over losing Juju for a week or two as he is in concussion protocol? Yes or no? I, I know it'll sound a bit rich because we just talked about how deep the wide receivers are, but yeah, a little. You know why? Because... What they found was a one-two punch of reliability that I don't think any team in the NFL has quite that way. They, there's there's teams with better 
one, two punches, right? Tyree kill Jalen Waddle, um, for instance. But what they've done is they are the most proficient first down offense in the entire NFL. And that is simply because Patrick Mahomes gets to throw to Travis Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster. He already had and has had for years the most reliable third down threat in the NFL. That was Travis Kelsey. He then added in another super reliable third down threat. My fear is some of these drives that we've watched them continue to move down the field and never let die. They're harder to not let die if Juju's not here. I like the wide receivers, but with not knowing what's going on with McColl's injury, and I think there's a pretty good chance Juju won't play this week because I think it's kind of unfair to say, hey, you got a concussion. And the three other times he's had him in his career, he missed the next game. So I don't think that he's going to play this weekend. But if it lingers, then yeah, I'm concerned. For one game against the Chargers, I can live. But if I find out that this is going to take a little bit longer, I think that depth gets tested seriously because you're taking out their number one wide receiver target. Yeah, but what is the worst case scenario for someone in concussion protocol? Like two weeks max, right? Have Usually. We, have we seen yeah, it I mean, linger beyond that? Didn't Patrick say after the game he was like laughing and joking with people? So he seems to like he's doing okay. Concussions are weird. So the way it works, like, so he had a little bit of that fencing response and, and yeah. doctor, doctors will tell you that that doesn't mean his concussion was more or less severe. And then there's people who have no concussion symptoms. And then a week later have difficulty with bright lights or headaches. And like, I know from an NFL standpoint, Nick, you're right. Most of the time it's one, two weeks if you're feeling fine. But like, I know someone who had like a concussion from a car wreck and it was like six months later and they were still having to do like physical, like light therapy to try to get it solved. So just as long yeah. as it's not that, we're okay. Just as long as it's not the severest version of somebody getting concussion, it'll be all right. But in any given game, right, even against the Chargers, Juju Smith-Schuster is their number one weapon. There's less to plan for when there's no Juju. Yeah, I mean, first off, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that Andre Sisko should be in prison. Um, so, <laughs> wow. Hey, he, you know what? I, I usually give guys the benefit of the doubt to say like, well, they weren't trying to do that. They weren't trying to hurt him. He shared a video of that hit on his Instagram story. So he didn't seem to be very ashamed or remorseful with how that whole thing went down, which was like, okay, dude, you clearly led with your crown. And Justin Reed said afterwards, eyes up, head up. I've never had a helmet to helmet hit in my five years in the league. With that being said, um, if it's just a, a one or two week, um, I don't think it's going to swing like a swing Vegas lines or swing how I think these games are going to come out. But but kind of going back to the trust factor with Mahomes and Juju getting into a groove. We saw him play his best three game stretch. If you take away the Jacksonville game, because he didn't play a full game, he was in the best stretch and we saw him really kind of hitting his strides and emerging as a number one. And it's not to say, I think you're starting over from scratch if he has to miss a game or two, but we know how this works. Like this is his first season in the offense if, if there's even a little bit of regression from him having to miss significant time, I, I want to see him get as many reps as humanly possible with Mahomes. I'm not going to ever treat him this year. I don't care how good he looks. I'm never going to treat Juju like Tyreek, at least in terms of the rapport that he has. Because even if the production's there, these guys need reps to develop trust and to understand the little nuances. Maybe it's just one play here or one mistake there that helps you sort of learn something that it comes up to benefit the team or the offense later on in the postseason when things really matter. So I hope it's just one game. If it goes to two or beyond that, then all of a sudden you not just worry about the long-term thing, but then you worry about Juju. Like, okay, 
if if the concussion was this serious, do you wonder about him not being able to get right when he does get back out there? But I just want to see this offense get as many reps as possible together. I don't think it's a huge deal, but I, I, yeah. I hope it's it's one game max because I just want to see these guys continue to get work together. Exactly what you said, Nick. I'm bummed because he was finding his groove in this offense, and I'm sad that this is now going to be like a setback in a way. But I'm hopeful that he'll pick up right where he leaves off. Left off? Right where he left off. Leaves. Fine. I think either work, quite frankly. Okay. <laughs> also, Cisco <laughs> should be fine, if not for the hit, for that Instagram post. I agree. You play I for think- the Jags. Calm down. <laughs> how, dare, how dare he besmirch the name Cisco, who brought us such great hits as the thong song. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> You, I trashed him 24 hours ago. 24 <laughs> hours ago, Cody told me, and I quote, Andre Cisco is now my new least favorite Cisco taking <laughs> the rapper. And I said, just because I don't need to hear that song anymore. He's like, you don't need for the rest of your life to hear that song again. I was like, no, I think I'd probably be fine. There are a lot of other songs. I don't I, know that, that that's high on my list. That song really slapped. I, it still does. You know, <laughs> that beat. All about yeah. thongs. Like, who knew? I don't know that I want to hear it like right now or anytime immediately, but there will be a point in my life where I will want to hear that song again. Here's the <laughs> thing. Yeah, actually, the true test is, Nick, if we were all in a bar and we'd been drinking a little bit and then that started playing loud on the speaker, would we be into it? And the answer is probably. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, we'd all be into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's the true test. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So scandalous. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on on that note. Guys, there is continued evolution in this Chiefs offense. Uh, Andy Reid's offense never looks the same at the end of the season as it does in the beginning of the season. We've had a few ebbs and flows, but we're on the up and up. Yeah, we're on. You're seeing this on the up and up. And what's so interesting is that we go back to the beginning of the year. And all the questions that we had about what this offense was going to look like with all the new receivers and without Tyree Kill. And then even to that extent, you go back to last year because when we talk about the offense changing and what it would look like, we never really discussed, were we wondering what it would look like compared to last year's Chiefs offense or the year before? Because last year's Chiefs offense didn't look the same as it looked the year before when they could just take all these shots deep and you were taking the top off defenses, the first half of last year, they struggled. They had to sort of recalibrate. And all of a sudden they started killing teams underneath with this dink and dunk stuff and all of the yards after catch. So this offense evolves, not just from year to year or from the midway point to the end of the year, but we see at the beginning of the year, it's never the same offense as it is halfway through the year. And that's what we're seeing right now. You're seeing more and more guys get involved early in the year. Juju didn't even look like we, we, we had conversations on this show the three or four weeks into the year saying, are we sure that Juju is going to be this guy? Are we sure he can be a legit number one? Nobody's asking those questions anymore. Now, all of a sudden you see Noah Gray get involved. We've seen MVS have a 100 yard game. You saw McColl have a three touchdown game. He scored a touchdown in three consecutive games. All of a sudden, Kadarius Tony two weeks in. Seems to be a featured player on this offense. Isaiah Pacheco is now your lead back. They've changed so much in just the last 10 weeks. I can't imagine they're not going to continue to change. I can't imagine that. And I don't know who it is. Is it Tony? Is it just more and more guys getting more and more comfortable? I wonder, I actually, I wonder if it's more going to be about Patrick Mahomes continuing to 
grow trust in certain players because it's tough to find negatives with this offense. It's tough to nitpick and, and find areas where they can get better because everybody's sort of had their game. To me, it's just, I'd imagine Mahomes continuing to work with these guys and get to the point where you truly do believe on any given night, it could be Juju, MVS, McColl, Tony, whoever else you want to throw into the mix. I think probably what it comes down to, Nick, is that in the early part of the season, they were doing what we talk about with a lot of teams. They were trying to find their identity. Who are we? Who do we throw to? Who do we like throwing to? What makes sense? What works? And a lot of it was just like, eh, let's throw it deep to, to MVS. And that kind of wasn't working. And they're like, ah, everyone's kind of piling in. So let's maybe run. And then that wasn't working. They're like, okay. Um, and then they just didn't run at all two weeks ago. They just threw it 80 times. And I think as the season's gone on and what will happen with the rest of the year that is really encouraging is they're getting closer and closer to finding exactly who they are. And exactly who they are is starting to become more obvious. We go to Kelsey and Juju more than anybody. And we go to MVS quite a bit. We rely on him on the sideline. We rely on him to get deep the way Green Bay does. But we're doing it at a higher efficiency rate. Uh, MVS is on pace to beat his best season by 200 yards. And it's not like he was playing with someone bad over the last couple of years. He was playing with the reigning back-to-back MVP. So that in its own right says they figured out how to use MVS. They're getting the maximum out of that guy. They figured out how to get the maximum out of Juju Smith-Schuster, or at least the maximum since he got around there. They're always finding the maximum out of Kelsey. So all they've been doing is slowly but surely checking off one person on their list to perfect what their role is. And once McCole Hardman got healthy, they started using him like they were using him at the end of last year, which means they were perfecting his role. Like, to me, it's just like one piece coming in. What are left here are how do we want to use the rest of the tight ends? Like, once Blake Bell gets back, how do we negotiate everybody else who's behind Travis Kelsey? So the Jody Fortson, Noah Gray, Blake Bell triumvirate. Are we really going to just use Pacheco the rest of the way? Is that really our plan? Are we going to work Sky? You know, are we going to work Clyde in more than the six snaps he got the last time? We were just trying this the first time. So I got to figure out the exact rotation of the running backs and the exact rotation of the backup tight ends. That doesn't sound like much to figure out, Nick. I think we're getting close to their final form which is great because obviously they're the top scoring offense in the NFL still. We've, we've asked the question a few times this year, is this offense better without Tyreek Hill? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'll tell you this much. This offense is better than last year's offense. I agree. And it may, and it may not even be because they're way more talented or they have more options. Like that's the easy thing, but you just said it. I'd rather have a team like maybe not play the maybe not have the absolute most talented roster or the most weapons. I, I would rather have that team who knows who they are than the team who has all the talent in the world and they're still trying to figure it out late into this season. I don't think this is the most talented offense in the NFL. I don't. I would rather have the Dolphins' weapons. Chiefs know exactly who they are. The Chiefs know exactly how they're going to win football games. This is not a team heading down the final stretch of the season that are still saying, well, we're still waiting on this one thing. No, they know how they want to play. And I, it's tough for me to imagine a ton of regression. There may be a, a moment. There may be a game where a defensive coordinator has a really good strategy against the Chiefs and they slow them down. And then all of a sudden, you sort of go back to the drawing board and figure out how you're going to attack that the next time you see it later in the season. 
But there is there is no finding themselves. There is no trying to establish an identity. You're halfway through the season and you already have that. And that's more than we could have said at this point last year. So over the last since 2018, when Kansas City was great, there were three teams that year that scored 30 points a game. The Chiefs, who scored 34.8, the Rams and New Orleans. In that year and the preceding years, so in the last four years, there have only been, including those three, seven offenses that score 30 points a game in the NFL. There's always at least one. Right now, it's Kansas City by three points. They're scoring a field goal. That's a lot in the NFL. They're scoring a full field goal more than the next closest offense. And, you know, like, and it feels like for a team that's had to evolve a lot, I don't, you know, like maybe more than just about any team in the NFL, they know who they are because Kayla, you've watched like we've watched like the Bills too. the Bills are like, let's go deep. And then when that doesn't work, they're like, oh, God, can we can we run seven yard slants? And they're a great offense. And even they still seemingly ask themselves questions sometimes of if they're capable of the other. Like and to me, Kansas City is almost done with those. Maybe it's not its perfected form yet, but it feels like it's getting close. And I think that just, again, speaks to the insane talent that Patrick Mahomes is because you don't even need the best offensive weapons in the NFL to have the best offense when you have him at quarterback. Where do they rank in offensive weapons in the AFC? They're behind Miami. They're let's not include Mahomes. Obviously that's not the point of the conversation for weapons, but um, they're behind Miami and Cincinnati when healthy for sure, right? Yeah. Um, I think you're probably splitting hairs with the bills, but I'd probably give the chiefs the edge there. I mean, that's how deep they are. It's probably the chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Because like the Chargers at some point went healthy with Williams and Eckler and Allen. You probably could have made that argument, but they've been so disappointing. I don't think it's them. That's probably it. It's probably probably just those two teams. After all that, you imagine just if you're one of those other AFC teams, you spent this whole, you put your whole offseason. You're like, look, man, we're we're, we're spending money (laughs) free agency. So we spent a bunch of money. We wanted like Von Miller. And they're like, you know what else we did? We traded for a guy like Tyreek Hill or we... Drafted a guy like Jamar Chase last year. Like all these teams have done so much work only to still be stuck behind the Chiefs who spent $10 million on a wide receiver, spent another $10 million or $8 million a year on like MVS. So like, here's 10, here's another 10 on MVS. Um, You know, we brought Blake Bell back. We thought that was kind of cool. They took a seventh round running back. They spent no money on defense. Like, that's it. The Chiefs didn't, they didn't, the the ringer, Kayla, they do this thing called the all-in index. And it's just, the way they factor it is how much free agent money you spent, how aggressive you were in draft, draft capital, and how much draft capital you spent on certain things. And, um, like, and then certain, like, staffing decisions beyond that. The Chiefs are, like, 27th. The Bills are, like, 6th. Like, they're in. The Chargers and Broncos are in the top 10 as well, by the way. It's like all those teams that were doing all this work still sit behind Kansas City because their evolution came very fast. That's what it is, Nick. Back to the evolution thing. It's like, it just came fast. It came faster than we all thought. They're at week 10 and we're like, wow, maybe they could evolve to like the, the even better version of the very evolved selves. Cody, that reminds me of my favorite piece of artwork that hangs in my favorite bar in Columbia, Missouri. And that is a picture of... Todd Reesing with turf in his helmet in the 2007 border war. How uh, and it says you. when your best, how dare you good enough. when your best just isn't good enough is what it says. Oh man. Bringing that up to you, Nick. <laughs> that how is, it feel? That's such a low blow <laughs> today of all days. 
How dare you? You've got basketball. Well, technically, we've got football this year. I know, I know. I walked right into that one. Go there, dude. That's a that's a <laughs> we'll tough that's a, that's a tough year for wait till football season fans. Oh my really gosh. any group. Hey, Kansas to defend yeah. the national championship for basketball, and now Kansas gonna be like, well, we'll see you in basketball season two, I guess. Yeah, I've been waiting 13 years for that, Cody, to no longer have to say wait till basketball season. Yeah, well, it's tough because Kansas again wasn't just bad, but. Like just the okay, worst. we're not going there. We're not going to get into the weeds on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on. on. You don't want to. You don't want to. Okay. Fine. Um, guys, special teams is still the unit we should actually be worried about on this Chiefs team. You know why, Kayla? Because the offense has had like one bad game. Defense has had like two bad games, and the special teams has had like four. They've had like more than the offense and defense combined. They're definitively the worst unit, right? Yeah, but what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? I don't know. Stop returning shanking kicks. Okay, I'd like to start with never return a kick ever again. Just stop. We're done. You, (laughs) this is like, this is like my, it's like if my kid had wrecked the car four times and driver's head, like, we're going to wait a year and we'll get back to this. You can't, they're bad at it, Nick. They have not had, but like two successful kick and punt returns the entire season. Matter of fact, it's much more heart attack inducing than anything else. Give up. Call fair catch. No, Let the ball roll up. into the end zone no. and give up. Stop no, trying to return up because the Chiefs stink at it. The Chiefs are already <laughs> scoring at a higher clip than any other offense in the NFL. So imagine if they can just get a little bit better at, at kick returning and punt returning. The Butker stuff is probably just health, but this has been the consistently most disappointing unit for them. Like yours, like, hey, you got to have three phases of a game to be great. And it seems like if all three phases, if just the if mediocre was what the special teams was this year, this team is one or zero losses. Okay, if all let, the let losses. Me, let me give you a proposition. Then. I'll give you a proposition. Let's say that the Chiefs special teams just stays like this all year. They're just a liability. They're messing up every single game. Just super frustrating. Missing kicks, bad punt return decisions. Maybe a few even muff punts in there. Actually, yeah. Let, by the way, let's isolate Tommy Townsend. He's been, oh, he's been great. Yeah, that's an absolute doing. rock. <laughs> he's been holding it down all year. If you traded that, this special team has been really disappointing. And I told you that the Chiefs are going to have a top 10 defense the rest of the season. Would you take it? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, it's still the least important unit. It just matters. Still, it's not nothing. It's not like it doesn't matter. Bit. But it, it's come close to costing. Like in the last game, it didn't cost them against the Jags because they're so much better than them. But against a better team, fumbling twice on special teams and returning every kick from the end zone to like the the 12-yard the line is bad. Very bad. They should be better at it. Tobe has been in this position way too damn long to have this ragtag of a unit. And I don't know if it's just because we talked about how every single good defensive player that's a rookie is playing. So maybe he's having to take the even scrap heapier scrap heap. And maybe I should let him off the hook because... Normally, a guy like Joshua Williams or a guy like Jalen Watson would have played more special teams for him somewhere along the way, but play a little bit less because, you know, Jalen Watson has to play all the time on defense. That's normally how they handle it. Or typically, you would just let McCole Harmon be your punt returner, but you were trying to give it to somebody else who doesn't have to play a full role in the offense. But I don't know. Match your job. You've been in this team. You've been with this team a long time. You know this roster back and forth, and they let you have final say of the back end roster decisions. Be better. This is the worst unit on the team. I think there's only so much he can do, though, right? First off, if Harrison Bucker 
hadn't, if we haven't had just seen the, the kicking woes, right? Even when he was gone and you had Amendola filling in and all that. <laughs> if the kicking woes hadn't existed, we probably wouldn't be talking about this nearly as much because Bucker was the one thing that you felt yeah. like was just a sure bet. Yeah. Right. Punt returning. It, it depends from year to year as to personnel and who you, who you got back there. If Bucker weren't missing chip shots and and field goals left and right, then all of a sudden, I don't feel like we'd even be talking about special teams. Maybe not. And we had other games where special teams cost him and it had nothing to do with Butker because it was second and third string kickers, which is obviously a problem. But it has been a disappointing unit. There's just no way to deny it. Disappointing, yes. But luckily, our defense and offense is is strong where it makes up for their mistakes. I mean, these are definitely privileged problems. I'm not trying to pretend. If the first thing you want to bring up is, hey, you know what? Our worst unit on the entire team is special teams. You'd be like, okay, so what? So what? Your offense, your defense are really good? Oh, it must be. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I'm sure that's how the, the rest of the league feels when we have these conversations. Spoiled Chiefs fans. Yeah, the rest of the league saying, yeah, but you guys have Tommy Townsend, the best punter in the NFL. And that's how I feel as well. I'll trade it for Tommy. Just can just boom and just, just absolutely coffin punting left and right. The guy is... Great flow. Oh, gosh. Just had a birthday last week. We're so blessed. We are so blessed in Kansas City. <laughs> Number five back there, sending him away. I think my favorite thing from him this season was actually when he is getting ready to go out with uh, Justin Reed. They quickly make up a handshake. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. He's like, what's our handshake? That's what he was worried about was the handshake. <laughs> Not the fact that we had a non-kicker out there. It's kicking. also funny. He punts for the number one office in the NFL. So he has to do his job way less than everyone else at his position. Why do you think he always looks so fresh? <laughs> Legs always feeling good. Yeah. All right. We'll end there on that high note. Uh, this is It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. That is Cody Tapp. He is Nick Schwartz. I'm Kayla Canaram, and we will be back with you all on Friday. <laughs>